Revelation 22, as I said, we're looking at verses 18 and 19. Now, last week I said that of all the messages that the Lord could have chosen to give us in the last verses of the Bible, uh, he chose to remind us of the sacredness of the Bible itself. Uh, Remember, he warned us to not add to it or subtract from it. Of all the things he could have said, uh, as critically important as the gospel, he could have ended with the gospel, he could have ended with the Ten Commandments, he could have ended with promises of of the afterlife, all sorts of very, very critical messages about Christ being the Son of God, uh, all sorts of things he could have said. He ended with, don't mess with the Bible. There aren't, don't think you're going to get more revelation after, after this book is finished, this last book of the Bible, and don't go through it and try to take things out of it and say you're, you don't agree with that part, you don't believe that could have happened. It says it's, it's complete. And why did we do, do that? Well, we said because of all the important things that he could have said, if we can't trust the scripture to be coming from him, then we wouldn't know what the gospel is. We wouldn't know what, well, has this been added by somebody, or is there more to it than this that somebody took out? Uh, so to know what the gospel is, to know what the afterlife is, to know what uh, the law is, to know what sin is, we have to know what the Bible says, and we have to depend on it to be accurate and from God. And we have to believe that it's exactly what he gave to the original writers, Moses and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, Peter, James, and the rest, uh, that he hasn't allowed uninspired men and women to change his holy word. Now, you know you have the Lord's word if you use an English language version that's translated from the received text. Uh, such, the ones that are in print today are the uh, uh, King James Version, the, the original Geneva Bible of 1599, or with some reservations, a new King James Version. Other versions that are out there, uh, Revised Standard, New American Standard, New International Version, others, are a product of what is called higher criticism. Uh, and Worse than that are the paraphrases, such as the message or the living Bible. A paraphrase is when somebody uh, or a group of people, uh, they didn't write the actual words. They didn't go back to the manuscripts and the Greek and the Hebrew and write the actual words. They wrote down what they think the message is in their own words or in the words that they think people will most relate to. Uh, They're not concerned specifically that the very words of Scripture are inspired. It's just the the basic idea, the general idea. You you can think of it this way. If you were really hungry, which would you rather have? Maybe your favorite food is steak or fish or, you know, chocolate pie, whatever it might be. If you were really hungry, would you rather have that or would you rather have someone tell you what they thought it tastes like? And that's really the basic difference between a paraphrased Bible and uh, particularly a uh, uh, paraphrased Bible and, and uh, a uh, more formal Bible of King James uh, received text Bible. In the one, you're getting the steak. In the other, you're getting somebody telling you what a steak tastes like. They're telling you what they think the words mean. 
And last week we talked about how the Lord preserved the word, his word through the ages from the manuscript evidence. Uh, the first sermon last week replied to the question, how can we be sure that our Bible is what the original writers actually wrote? Uh, and it's, as you know, available at uh, sermonaudio.com, reformation.sermonaudio.com. This sermon will, Lord willing, address the question, wasn't the Bible put together by a committee? Uh, a lot of people think so. And as you hear that a lot if you talk to people about the Bible. Uh, what's behind the question is, well, if a bunch of men just took a vote on what books should be in the Bible, how can you be sure that other books don't belong in it? Or how can you be sure the ones that got the most votes should be in it? Uh, now, when they say the Bible, they include both the Old and New Testament. So let's deal with the Old Testament first. Now, nobody who is at all familiar with, with the, Old, the history of the Old Testament believes that some committee someplace voted on it. Uh, there's nothing in history that supports that idea of the Old Testament. Testaments come down to us through the centuries, uh, principally through ancient Israel, the vigilance of those people in ancient Israel, like we talked about last week. And the Lord chose ancient Israel to be the repository of his word. Uh, and we saw last week what a careful system of checks and balances they had and to preserve the integrity of the scrolls. So nobody believes the Old Testament was assembled by some committee somewhere. Versions. There aren't multiple versions of the scriptures uh, uh, in the Old Testament. You know, you don't have like we have today's Bibles uh, in the in the Jewish Church, for example, the Jewish synagogues. They don't have a bunch of different versions of the Old Testament. Their their scriptures. Uh, so, the matter of the canon of Scripture, C A N O N, which what what books make it up. Uh, was settled centuries ago, even before, centuries before the time of Christ. How did the Old Testament come to be then? Where did it come from? Well, we know where it came from, but it was gradual throughout history. Uh, there's no fixed point in time that we can point to and say, well, this is when the Old Testament books were put together. Remember, for many centuries, the Lord's messages to Israel were written down by the men that he spoke to, you know, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., and many others, but they didn't have any printing, they didn't have any books, just they had scrolls, they wrote down scrolls on scrolls, and then they, the scrolls were read to the people, and they were, they were explained by the prophets and the preachers. But having just one scroll wasn't enough for all the people, so they said, well, we need to make copies. So they carefully hand-copied them onto other scrolls. And remember last week I explained how careful they were to copy the exact words. They numbered each word and each letter and, and uh, just had a, a, a wonderful system. Um, even quoted a uh, computer programmer who said what they had then was better than the checksum system that is used today to ensure accuracy in computer programming. What the Bible tells us is that later generations lost and forgot about these writings. 
and people, as we just read today in the Old Testament, they went their own way. Well, that's that's what uh, uh, that's what happened because they lost the scrolls, they lost the Bible. They had they had heard of them, but they didn't know what they said. Um, in Second Kings, there's a recording of the high priest saying to his secretary, "I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord." So it was buried, you know, probably in a pile of papers or something, and he found the book of the law. Uh, the, the old what we call it, the Old Testament or parts of it we're not sure exactly uh, and in Jeremiah 36 in the fourth year of Jehoiakim son of Josiah king of Judah this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now so there we have the Lord saying to uh, in this case, uh, uh, Jeremiah, I want you to take a scroll and write down what I'm going to tell you. Uh, and Daniel says in chapter 9, and that was uh, 536 B.C., approximately 538 B.C., in the first year of his reign, uh, I, Daniel, talking about the king, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What Daniel is saying is, I read in the, in the scroll of Jeremiah, he called it the books, so perhaps more, but he mentioned specifically Jeremiah, how long the, the people would be uh, captured. Uh, it would be 70 years. Um, they would have to live under captivity. He says... Um, they would be oppressed by the Babylonians for 70 years, he says that. Uh, and in 445 B.C., time of Jeremiah and Ezra, the temple was rebuilt. Ezra read aloud from the law of Moses, quote, from morning until midday. And there's many others that they, they, the, the scripture talks about. So we know that this is very, very ancient. I mean, we're talking about this, uh, going back to, in uh, hundreds of years before Christ. So it, it was very gradually put together. Over a long time, these scrolls became into common use. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived and wrote in the first century A.D., says the Old Testament was complete in his time, and nobody disputed it. It was Genesis to Malachi. Uh, and as renowned Bible scholar Dr. Griffith Thomas wrote, the Christ, quote, the Christian church inherited her belief in the sacredness and authority of the Old Testament from our Lord and his apostles since the basis of their teaching was the Old Testament scriptures. So the Christian church got our belief in the Old Testament from Christ himself and the apostles because their basis. You know, whenever, whenever you read in the, Old Te- in the New Testament about the scriptures, remember the New Testament wasn't compiled. They're talking about the Old Testament. So there's no doubt that what we call the Old Testament is complete. It has the right books. Every work is inspired by God. Now what about the New Testament? Was that put together by a committee or a church council? Well, it came into being gradually, too, even though, unlike the Old Testament, the books were not written many centuries uh, apart. They were written all in the first century. Many of the New Testament books are letters written by Christ's apostles or their close associates to various churches and individuals. Because they were written by those who had been ordained as apostles by Christ himself, or they were written, a few of them were written by those whom the apostles personally approved, the letters were read in Christian worship services alongside the Old Testament. They were received as authoritative even back 
in the early church. For example, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica at the end of his first letter to them, 1 Thessalonians 5.27, quote, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle, and what he's talking about, my letter here, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle, my letter, be read unto all the holy brethren. So they circulated that letter among all the churches. And at the end of Paul's letter to the church uh, at Colossae, quote, and when this epistle, again, this letter that I've just written to you, is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So he had written a letter to Laodicea as well, which we don't have anymore. But he said, I want you to take the letter I'm writing to you, Colossians, Colossians, and read it in Laodicea and have get their letter, and you should read it too. Uh, Laodicea was just down the road from Colossae, by the way. At the same time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who had all known Christ or were eyewitnesses to what he said and did, uh, wrote down their accounts, which we call the Gospels, which means good news. Uh, then the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles, which records what happened in the early church right after Christ's ascension into heaven was written down by Luke. And finally, after the Gospels and the Acts and the uh, letters that Paul and, and uh, Peter and such wrote, John wrote the book of Revelation, which is the history of God's working in the world on behalf of his church from the first century through the triumph of Christ, the final judgment, and the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. And it ends with the warning that we're looking at here of Revelation 22, 18, and 19, not to add to or subtract from the Bible. As we said, this petty objection you hear all the time, well, it just says don't add to or subtract from this book. That book means the book of Revelation, but you can add to and subtract from the rest of the Bible, which is just silly because the book of Revelation is part of the Bible. So if you add to or subtract from the book of Revelation, you're adding to or subtracting from the whole Bible, are you not? So So the answer to how the New Testament came to be as we have it today is simply it was originally settled by public reading and general acceptance in the churches. It was originally settled by public reading and general acceptance in the churches. Now, Dr. Thomas says there was no real doubt ever as to the books of the New Testament. Oh, there were some questions about this one and that one, but they went on for a while. But the the church, through general acceptance, decided that was not not voted on. It it was just generally accepted. So there was never any real doubt, Dr. Thomas says, as to the books of the New Testament. Did you know that the writings of Paul were considered to be holy scripture in his own time? Uh, Why don't we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, please. This is Peter's second epistle that we have, chapter 3. He says, I'm picking up a, a thought here. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. And here's the point as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So Peter is saying Paul's letters are also scriptures. And if you look over at 1 Thessalonians, 
chapter 2, we see something similar to that. Verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. So Paul says, when you receive the word of God, he's talking about from us, from me. When he says us, he means me. Uh, you received it not, he may have meant also the other apostles, but he received it not as the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God. So he calls his own writings, inspired writings, the word of God. Justin Martyr in the mid-100s A.D., 2nd century, he mentions the memoirs of the apostles as being read on Sunday alongside the writings of the prophets. Um, And we have a lot of other uh, historical testimony of four gospel. Uh, uh, The four gospels was asserted by uh, Irenaeus in uh, 180 A.D. uh, And something called the Muratorian Fragment is evidence that perhaps as early as 200 A.D. there existed a pretty similar uh, set of Christian writings that we have in the New Testament today. Uh, So very early, very early. Um, So there were, the major writings were accepted by almost all Christians, uh, certainly by the middle of the third century and I think long before that. Now, some scoffers who've done some reading may, if they're smart, they may say to you, oh, but the canon, the canon, you know, the assemblage of books of the New Testament was voted on in the first council of Laodicea in the 4th century. So I want you to be ready for that in case somebody's, you run into somebody who's smart and who, say, who says more than just, well, it was put together by a committee, well, I don't believe it. Ah, but, you know, they think they've got you the first council of Laodicea in the 4th century. And if you read the findings of the First Council of Laodicea, you see they have 60 what they call canons, 60 statements. Uh, And canon 60, which supposedly lists the books of the Bible, um, most scholars say that's not an accurate canon. It wasn't there originally. It's been added later. Uh, so, in other words, the First Council of Laodicea did not vote on what the, what the books of the Bible would be. Canon 60 is best in doubt and at worst spurious. One of the greatest contemporary church historians, Philip Schaff, wrote of this canon that it is, quote, of most questionable genuineness. So the point is there was not a committee. Council of Laodicea did not specify what books would be in the New Testament. The only committee meeting, there was a committee meeting, to establish what book should be in the Bible, and that's the Council of Trent, which met in the 16th century, and it created the Roman Catholic Bible. And it didn't create the New Testament, it went back to the Old Testament and added some books to it, which were never in the Hebrew Scriptures ever, called the Apocrypha. So they, they met in, in 1,500 years after the, and more after, after Christ to say, well, we're, we're going to add some books to the Old Testament that were never in it to begin with. And that's the Roman Catholic Bible today. If you look at the Roman Catholic Bible, they have books in it 
that you won't recognize because they're, they're called the Apocrypha. They're ancient books. They're not all her- heretical books. There's some good instructions in it, uh, some interesting history, which probably is accurate, uh, but they were never regarded as inspired Word of God. Uh, so that's the only committee that's ever met to, uh, to, to put the Bible together. By the way, the, I, in reading the uh, canons, uh, the findings of the uh, Declaration of the First Council of Laodicea the other day, Canon 59 says, no psalms composed by private individuals uh, may be used in the church. So, was the Bible put together by a committee? The answer is absolutely not. Neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament. There's no historical evidence of any such thing. And without historical evidence, these people who say, oh, I was put together by a committee. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, it's fantasy. It's like saying, the, well, you know, the United States was founded by space aliens. And you say, well, why do you believe that? And they say, well, there's no historical evidence that says it wasn't. And that's about how stupid that argument is. That, well, Bible's was really like a committee. Why do you believe it? Well, there's no history that says it wasn't. Now, it wasn't put there in a committee. So the question becomes, why were some books accepted and others rejected them? Why do we have some books? Like, why, do we, why is the Apocrypha there, but the Roman Catholic Bible is not in ours and, and all that? The answer is simply, the books that are in the Bible were recognized by God's people as inspired, having apostolic authorship, having apostolic authority. When they read them and heard them read, people recognize them. No book of the New Testament is there without having been written by an apostle or someone close to the apostles having apostolic authority. Could you say that again? No book in the New Testament is there without having been written by an apostle or someone having apostolic authority, someone close to the apostles. In other words, I can't write a book and have it accepted by the churches and put it in the New Testament. Nobody can. And it's just, it would be impossible to have a book added uh, to the Bible today. Why is that? Because God protects his, his Bible, and he's not going to allow his church to accept that. Now, some cult might accept it, but you're not going to have the general church accept some book that's never been in the Bible and say, well, we've got to add that to the Bible. It's just not going to happen. Why? The only like, uh, answer is it's supernatural. The Lord's protecting his word. He's not going to allow that. Now, that leads to another question. How did God's people come to such universal agreement? To say, yes, these books are, are written by God, are inspired by God, and no, these aren't. You know, because you, you can go to the bookstore and, and or go online and, you know, you see these, the lost books of the Bible. You know, why weren't these in the Bible? Well, some of them, as I said, some of them are fine history and all. Some of them are crazy. I mean, talk about Jesus flying around like Superman and, and things like that. So how did God's people come to such a universal understanding and agreement? How could they discern which books are inspired and which aren't? Which aren't? Well, that requires another question. Before you, we get into that, think about this. If you're a believer, why do you accept the New Testament? Ultimately, why do you believe the Bible is inspired by God and other books are not inspired by God? Now, Dr. Thomas, who I quoted a moment ago, he writes that he asked a friend this question, and the friend said he had never thought about it quite that way. Dr. Thomas asked him, do you accept it because it's old? Well, there are older books, uh, particularly the New Testament. 
Do you accept it because it contains truth? Other books contain truth. No, beneath its age, beneath its helpfulness, beneath its truthfulness is the bedrock. This book came from men who were uniquely qualified to convey God's will. Our acceptance of the New Testament is what is called in technical language apostolicity because the books came either from apostles or through apostolic sanction and our view of the Old Testament corresponds to this. The fundamental reason is the conviction that certain books came from men who were divinely inspired to reveal and convey God's will. Prophets in the Old Testament, apostles in the New Testament. Prophets were recognized were recognized as expounders of God's will and their writings were regarded as immediately authoritative. Uh, the best illustration is found in Jeremiah chapter 36, where the prophet, where Jeremiah's words, where the Lord said, write these on a scroll, and they were immediately accepted by the people as possessing the authority of God. Now, each book had this authority by reason of its prophetic source, and then gradually came the collection into one volume, so that the Old Testament represents those books which Israel accepted, on proper evidence as a divine standard of faith and practice because they were either written or put forth by prophetic men. Now, we've mentioned the canon of the Bible, C-A-N-O-N. Canon is the English word for the Greek word that means read, R-E-E-D. And read is the ancient measuring stick because it was like a, like a, a ruler. It was strong, you know, and, and they... Uh, had a certain length, and that was what they used. So they, they would measure. If you remember in Revelation, they said take a reed and measure around the temple and see how big it is. Uh, so we have the reed or uh, rod is another is a term that's used in surveying. Now that, that word, I believe, comes from reed. Uh, but reed is the ancient measuring stick. So the canon or the reed means the standard for measuring whether a book is to be part of the Bible. The books of the Bible have canonicity canonicity. They're recognized as inspired by God. But it wasn't the decision of the people even and certainly not the decision of some church council or committee that caused the canonicity of the books of the Bible. But their canonicity was their cause of the acceptance by the people. It's not the people decided what's God's word. God's word made the people decide what was God's word. It was so obvious. Dr. Thomas again. The authority came from God through the prophets and apostles and the recognition by the people was the effect of that. The effect of their canonicity. It was so obvious that authority, first of all, was written by the New Testament, written by the apostles, for example. In other words, canonicity is not up to men, not up to the church to decide It is up to God, and it's up to God's people to recognize it. The Old Testament uh, prophets, New Testament apostles wrote the same message. They preached the same doctrine. The Old Testament, in hundreds of places, predicted the events of the New Testament. In some cases, down to minute details. And you know Christ's crucifixion in Isaiah chapter 53 is, is, is so intimately and specifically described. Hundreds of years before it happened. Uh, in in uh, book in the book of Isaiah, chapter forty-four, God 
talks about Cyrus, the king of Persia, going to be coming to Jerusalem and, and all. And that was 150 years before he was born. And when Cyrus saw that, he didn't destroy Jerusalem. He came to the gates of Jerusalem, and the uh, Israel uh, uh, priests met him at the gates with a copy of the scriptures with his name in it and saying, and he was so blown away he didn't attack Jerusalem because of that. See, so the Old Testament in hundreds of places predicted the events of the New Testament. The New Testament is a fulfillment of these Old Testament uh, prophesying, prophesying, and both Testaments together are the Word of God. As Augustine wrote, the New Testament is in the Old concealed, and the Old is in the New revealed. The Word which Moses, Isaiah, uh, David, and Jeremiah... Daniel and Malachi delivered and the others delivered in the Old Testament is the same word that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul deliver in the New. You know, familiar text, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He says all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And inspiration comes from, it's a medical term that's used in medicine, inspire, means to breathe, to breathe, Breathe in, breathe in, inspire. Uh, well, all scripture is given by inspiration uh, of God. The, the idea is God's breath. God's breath is, 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 is scripture comes from, is God breathed. Often says scripture is God breathed. And it, 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 at the end of that passage, uh, well, let me, let me go on. To, he, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, as I quoted before, for this cause also we thank we thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So not only is he saying that his writing is the word of God, the writing of the other apostles is the word of God, but the word works effectually in the lives of those who receive it as from God and obey it. If you believe it is the word of God and you obey it, it changes your life. That's what he said. So how do you know that the Bible that you hold in your hand is composed of the books and only the books that are inspired by God? How do you know that God's people have recognized the canonicity, have accepted the inspired books and rejected the the uninspired books, that we have the right books and we don't have the wrong books? Because when all is said and done, when all the arguments have been made, all the skeptics' questions have been answered, the bottom line answer is because you trust God. You trust Jesus Christ who over and over and over again testified that the Old Testament is inspired by God and that there is not one letter, not even one tiny accent mark, he said, jot or a tittle, that is not there, that shouldn't be there. God wants them all there. That's what Jesus said. You trust Jesus because he promised, he said in John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So that's how we know, because we believe Christ, who said, I'll send my spirit, he'll guide you into all truth. 
the apostles would be divinely guided by the Holy Spirit in their writing. And believers would be divinely guided by the Holy Spirit in recognizing the inspired books and recognizing those that aren't. See, many people think the Bible is an authorized collection of books. Dr. Thomas says it's not an authorized collection of books, it's a collection of authorized books. Canonicity is not up to men, not up to the church to decide. It's up to God, and it's up to God's people to recognize it. And they have. Canonicity didn't raise a book to the position of Scripture, but recognizes that it's already Scripture. Each book of the Bible was Scripture as soon as it was written. It needed no committee or church council to approve it. It was simply up to the Lord's people to recognize it. Guided by the Holy Spirit, they've done just that. Of that we can be certain. Otherwise, what are you saying? Well, God would abandon his people, leave them with, with no sure revelation of his will. We, can't, we don't know if the gospel is true because God just left us. That's, that's the alternative. So we can be assured that the Lord hasn't allowed that. He's not deceiving his people. He's not allowed his revelation to become corrupted, to become unreliable. Remember, Christ promised us in John 14, he said, I won't, I won't leave you fatherless. I won't leave you as orphans. He said, I'm going I'm to send the spirit of truth to guide you, to help you. And you can fully trust the Bible. The Lord has preserved his word through the centuries for his people. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them. For this gen- from this generation forever. See, our Lord promises in, in John 10, the scripture can't be broken. The scripture can't be broken. We can't take anything out of the Bible. and uh, Oh, you can rip a page out of the Bible, but it's not going to mean anything. It's, it's, the church will still have the Bible. can't be broken. It's been attacked for centuries by God's enemies without effect. I told you the story about Voltaire who predicted uh, in his time, French writer, uh, great unbeliever, great in the sense of being a very strong, uh, strongly convinced atheist. And uh, he said, uh, in a hundred years, and he wrote back, I think, 1700, something like that. But he said, in a hundred years, uh, you won't be able to find a copy of the Bible. It'll be gone, but my writings will be available everywhere. And... Uh, well, today, if you go to Paris, you can see Voltaire's house. Voltaire's house is now owned by a French Bible society, and that's where they print Bibles. Christ said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. The smallest letter, the smallest accent mark will never pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now, how can that be when copyists and translators are mere men who can make mistakes? Because Christ said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the result is, in 1 Peter 1.25, the word of the Lord endures forever.
Father, we do thank you for the inspired word that thou hast given us, Father. It's, Lord, we marvel at how thy word has been preserved through the ages, and we know that it couldn't possibly be of, of men. It's, it's done because thy spirit has guided and protected the church, that we have the very words that thou hast given us that uh, have been transmitted down without error, Father. We are confident because we are confident in the message of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the care in which you care for thy, thy church and, and the commandments and laws you've given us to obey, not to get to heaven, but to know what pleases thee. And that's what we want to do above all else is please our, our loving Father in heaven. And so we thank thee, Lord, for for the wonderful revelation thou hast given, and we know that it will be preserved uh, through, through, the, through the ages, Father. But, uh, we thank thee, Lord. And Father, we uh, ask thy blessings again upon our little congregation. We are small, but Father, we, we thank thee for, uh, for the strength of faith that thou hast given us and the commitment that thou hast given us. And uh, Lord, we, uh, uh, we know we each have our family troubles and our situations, Father. Uh, and, Lord, uh, they're each known to us and known to Thee. And, Lord, we, uh, we ask for an extra measure of Thy blessing when we're going through difficult times, Father. Uh, and, Lord, uh, sustain us and, and use these times of uh, difficulty to uh, grow us in grace, Father. We can look back and say, you know, that was a blessing. As hard as it was during that time, that was a blessing. I've you know, I've grown in my faith. I've learned not to depend on. The Lord was taking away things that I was depending on, and, and realize now that uh, He was saying, "You've got to depend on Me, not on, not on these other external things." And uh, Father, we we thank Thee for that. It's hard sometimes. It's often this, but uh, we ask for uh, Father. Sometimes uh, we can actually feel Thy hand upholding us, and uh, we ask for that assurance more and more, Father. Uh, protect us as we uh, go home and uh, let us remember this is the Lord's day and not our day and uh, let us uh, give us holy rest in it Father Lord is in Jesus name